Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. Great to be back in studio with you, Francis. How are you? I'm feeling blessed. I'm so happy you're back because uh, uh, I think having you along uh, with these conversations makes it a lot more exciting. And we have such a great topic, uh, talking about the life of St. Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Well, and I, I note that um, we are far enough along in the book. We're going to talk a little bit more about her hiddenness. Um, and also, one of the chapters I think that we both found particularly uh, powerful, and that was um, uh, chapter 17 of the book anyway, but it's this uh, idea of uh, hiddenness in God and what exactly she means by that, hidden really in the sacred heart. So uh, I too am looking forward to the conversation, have enjoyed um, reading this text uh, about a saint who we both agreed when we started this is not that well known, although somebody we hope might become better known uh, because he really has so much to offer to uh, the church today. And that text happens to be a book called God is Love. It's by Margaret Rowe, and it is about the life of St. Teresa Margaret. And um, we've had a series here. I think we're on the fifth or sixth program on her. And so we're going to continue that until we get to the end because we want to know how it ends, right? That's a great ending. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's begin as we do each week in prayer. And Francis, as we do each week, would you mind leading us in prayer? Happy to do so. This is a prayer that St. Teresa Margaret discovered uh, that became one of her favorites. So let us sign ourselves in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. To you, be love, praise, honor, glory. To you, be expressions of deepest gratitude, O most holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, our one God. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, last week we went into great detail as to how St. Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, who we have been talking about, a discussed Carmelite nun, and happens to be one of our youngest Carmelite saints, how she practiced the presence of God, how she looked for God in everyone and everything. She looked through the lens of love in serving God and neighbor, especially the people who were difficult to love and serve, you know, the ones that we like to avoid. Well, for Sister Margaret, Teresa Margaret, it was Sister Louise who was mentally unstable. Here, St. Teresa Margaret saw them, these kinds of people, difficult people, as a way to prove her love of God by serving them with the greatest charity. And I'm, even even at her own risk, right? Yes. <laughs> risk of <hit>. physical injury, <laughs> yeah. Yes, um... And so, and I remember saying something about a spiritual challenge uh, to try to to be loved to the difficult people in your own life. Well, there are people in the world today that are very much like Saint Teresa Margaret. They always have God on their minds and in their hearts, and they look for God in all the details and events of their lives, and they seek to love. People. Yeah, and as you pointed out, Francis, the most difficult people, you know, I've heard priests counsel, well, if there's a personality or an individual you find 
uh, difficult to be around and they challenge your uh, patience and so forth, maybe you should avoid them. I think Teresa Margaret might say to us just the opposite. No, you, you jump into the fray, so to speak, as she did with this Sister Louise, who in all fairness um, had begun to lose her faculties and uh, really wasn't completely cognizant of what she was doing, but she was a fairly abusive person. Uh, to uh, Teresa Margaret, and Teresa Margaret didn't shy away from it. In fact, she asked uh, to be able to give her service. Now, we're not telling everybody to go encounter the difficult people in your life if you're not ready for it. I mean, right. you, you have to be ready for it. And, and the groundwork was laid. Um, and in Saint, prayer. Yes, yes. And, and uh, time before the Lord in adoration. And, and trying to serve God in the other person. So uh, really not taking the comments of that person personally, but trying to love them where they're at. And and that takes some maturity. Um, but anyway, it is, it's something to think about that the difficult people that we encounter in our lives are opportunities for us to stretch our spiritual muscles, whether it be patience, whether it be... Um, you know, uh, charity in, in just gentleness and kindness, maybe maybe just eye contact for some of these people. Right. So uh, anyway, you, you, you can you take also that talked about. I know you were alone in studio last week, but you talked about the pact that St. Teresa Margaret made with the elderly nun, Sister Adelaide. Right. Uh, this is where she asked Sister Adelaide to remember uh, her promise uh, that Sister Adelaide had made to intercede on behalf of Teresa Margaret that she might be able to enter into heaven soon after Sister Adelaide died. Of course, it was known that Sister Adelaide was dying and would be entering into glory very soon. Um, the quote is, May uh, love for him without hindrance for all eternity uh, be fully united with the fount of divine charity. Yeah, that's this is Teresa Margaret's desire. And uh, so she said, you know, promise me when you die that you intercede so that I can come join you and I will have this reward. Right. That was a sign, of course, of her continuing. And we've talked about this uh, throughout this uh, sort of biographical sketch of this, this saint, her growing intensity and desire to be united with the Lord. It grew day by day, certainly month by month, year by year. Um, uh, until it reached a fever pitch, which we'll begin to see a little bit in our conversation today. Now, St. Teresa Margaret counseled, uh, and we should always listen to the counsel of a saint, certainly somebody who um, was raised to sainthood as quickly as this young lady was. She said, if we want to find God, no way is surer than humility of heart and simplicity of soul. We shall obtain nothing without a struggle, but have courage we shall not lack the grace and the help of the Sacred Heart. Let us not waste time, however, for every moment is precious. You know, when I read that, I, I couldn't help but think of St. Teresa of Avila, you know, have courage, you know, and, and just how she was able to put things in a very uh, simple way for us to understand. But, you know, right there is a recipe for finding God. And what is it? It was the two things that Teresa Margaret counseled, have humility of heart and simplicity of soul, seeking the grace and help of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And we have to have confidence in that. I think that's a prerequisite. We have to have confidence that the grace that we need, the courage that we need, the endurance that we need is not 
from ourselves. And in fact, if we begin to rely on ourselves or we think that somehow we can muster what is necessary, uh, we open ourselves to failure. It's very important to realize we must turn to the Lord. We must give ourselves over completely. These are, um, you know, I appreciate they, they sound simple, perhaps on on um, uh, one level, but we have to appreciate that in an individual life played out as was true in the life of this great saint, they are very demanding, they are very difficult, and the only way we can get through uh, these sort of stages of the spiritual journey is to turn to God continuously. Right, receive his grace. You know, St. Teresa Margaret expands upon this by detailing for us how to live out her motto, which was return love for love. And so she goes on to explain, and this is a quote, to acquire the holy love of God, the best means is to live in the presence of God. And we talked a great deal about that last week. Just as someone who loves a person often recalls that person to mind, so too must often remember that God is always present and concerned with doing us good. In love, one must return love for love. And God has loved us and loves us so much in spite of our unworthiness. How then can we succeed in rendering him a similar love? Even in part, there's only one way. We must force ourselves to become like Jesus, telling him always in the pains and difficulties we experience, I want to suffer everything without murmuring for the love of my God. I fear nothing. I I took that to heart, you know, don't complain, you know, without murmuring there. Yeah, that's, you and I talked about this before we came on the air today. And of course, we both know that's a very difficult uh, call. It's a very high level of uh, spiritual maturity for us to say, as she does, I want to suffer everything without murmuring. Not not where many of us are, quite frankly, which is, uh, Lord, take this suffering away. Or the second, which would be, Lord, I accept the suffering uh, but can we talk about it? Or can I talk about it to everybody who comes into my life? But she said, I want to suffer and, and I don't want to talk about and it. And who is that like? But Jesus, when uh, when you think of his way of the cross. He remained uh, silent. Right? Yes, many, many moments of silent. silence there. So a person who wants to be a saint must know God. We are encouraged, obviously, to live in his presence and become like Jesus, not just externally, not just through actions, but knowing and imitating his interior dispositions. That's an important Yeah, this is put on the mind of Christ. Think like he thinks. Yeah, and how do we do that? Of course, we have to dispose ourselves uh, to certainly reflecting on his life, but also this is deep uh, in our interior. Christ has to come and live with us. That's the point of today's conversation, actually, to discuss how Teresa Margaret put on the mind of Christ and soared from his sacred heart into the unity of the Holy Trinity. In 1 Corinthians 2.16, actually, we, re- we read, For who has known the mind of the Lord as to counsel him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is Paul, of course, writing to Corinthians. And Jesus tells us in John 14, verse 6, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if we want to go to the Father and be with him in heaven, if we too want to go through Jesus uh, and know him inside and out, we've got to take the time, as Teresa Margaret did, to try to live Christ in all of these circumstances. How is that done? Self-sacrifice 
prepare ourselves through prayer, through adoration. But in the moment, as we discussed a moment ago, suffering and remaining silent, accepting it, remaining silent, not continually murmuring, complaining about it. That is Jesus. Now in the convent, when the nuns make their vows, they are, they're thinking of Jesus as their spouse. And of course we can too. We can think of our soul in, in a, a relationship to the Lord. Um, and so Teresa Margaret uh, wrote these special resolutions um, in fact, I know it's from her when I first read this book uh, that I, I took on this uh, idea of spiritual resolutions and spiritual challenges. And I think it's a, a great practice to maintain. But so she made these spiritual resolutions before she was to pronounce her vows. She said, knowing that a spouse cannot please a spouse, and she's talking about Jesus, if she does not study with special care to become like him, I resolve now and for always, O oh Jesus, my spouse, to imitate you and to crucify myself with you in a more complete mortification of all my powers. So basically, she's going to work at denying her own self-will to accept what he wills in her life. And she wants to know him because uh, it's the nature of love to share all that it has with the beloved and, and vice versa. And so to know his mind is, is to, uh, to share in him. And so this is what her aim is. St. Teresa Margaret prepared the garden of her soul with fertile seeds. That was her devout prayer. In her uh, dying to self and in unswerving obedience, in serving her neighbors, as we discussed, even when it was difficult, uh, she did so in love. Through her hiddenness, which we've also discussed, and continually living in the presence of God, which isn't just making God present to myself. More importantly, it's making myself present to God, mm -hmm. making sure that I am constantly aware of God's presence in my life. And lastly, most importantly, imitating Christ in every aspect of her life. Now, her devotion to the Holy Trinity also began to blossom here. Here are just a few examples to demonstrate how this had begun to mature in her spiritual life. So one of the ways she sought to honor the Most Holy Trinity, and this is a, a great lesson for us, is offering acts of adoration and thanksgiving directed to the Father for His omnipotence, adoring love as Creator and Giver, to the Son as incarnate love in the sacred humanity of Jesus and for His wisdom, and to the Holy Spirit as the love consuming her heart, she was always especially attentive to the doxology. That's when we pray the glory be to the Father and the Son and to the Holy Spirit. She was focusing on addressing each of the persons of the Holy Trinity. So I'd like to challenge you here. Um, the next time you pray those words of the doxology, you know, really think of who you're speaking to. The St. Teresa of Avila always told us prayer was a conversation and we know who we're speaking to and to whom uh, it is that we're speaking and what we it is that we want to say. So really be focusing um, when you say those words uh, on who you are addressing. In speaking about uh, the Father, St. Teresa Margaret shared her thoughts with Mother Anna Maria in this way. In God, the Father, there is everything. For God is love. Through love, he made everything. 
and he is the first cause of everything, and this love is God himself. We constantly receive countless blessings from God, and we can give him nothing that is in any way worthy of him. So let us be content to remain in a perpetual abyss of debt, depending purely and simply on the infinite generosity of the Supreme Giver. You know, we know she was not highly schooled um, in philosophy and theology and so forth, but I can tell you these are words that appear to me to be lifted right off the pages of St. Thomas Aquinas. This is exactly (laughs) what uh, Thomas says uh, in uh, his uh, Theologia. Uh, So there's something about this interior life that has matured this young girl's understanding of even these deep theological concepts. And the closer a soul gets to God, the more it sees its own poverty and the infiniteness, the infinite love and mercy of God. So that statement itself was a good reflection of of, uh, how she saw the Father. In reflecting on Jesus, she used the words of St. Bernard, which um, St. Bernard said, Under a head crowned with thorns, it ill becomes us to have our bodies crowned with roses. <laughs> I could just see that as I read that. I pictured it in my mind. Um, she also cautioned others. And this is a quote from Teresa Margaret. Remembering, remember that on entering religious life, you undertook to reproduce in yourself the life of the crucified. The cloister is your calvary. Regular observance, the cross, and the three vows, the nails that fix you to it. And I, and I think a lot of the uh, people in the novitiate are told that because we've seen similar statements yeah. with some of our other Carmelites. Yeah. Her spiritual director, Father Ildefonse, who we've mentioned in the past, uh, actually gave testimony regarding St. Teresa Margaret's ardent devotion as well to the Holy Spirit. He told us that the Holy Spirit was her plenipotentiary. I know that's a... Uh, mouthful for many of us. It's actually defined as a person, especially a diplomatic agent, who may be invested with absolute full power to transact business on behalf of another. All of her aspirations or doubts or needs or prayers or petitions uh, for others and were especially confided to the Holy Spirit. Everything for her actually went through the love she had for the Holy Spirit. And we need to keep this in mind, Francis, as we counsel so many times. I know you do a great deal of spiritual direction as I do. I always remind people the Holy Spirit is your is your spiritual director. Right. I'm here to sort of keep things on course, if you will, and, and to help you avoid error. But really, she seems to have completely grasped the, the reality that it is the Holy Spirit who transforms us. The work of purifying our hearts is really the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is working in our lives all along the way. You don't have to be at a a full maturity of the spiritual life in order to benefit from the Holy Spirit. He is with you. And, you know, it is us trying to open our eyes, enlarge our hearts, and see Him. But but calling on Him is a great start. And then look for His answers. Um, he uh, he is in the act of the love. That's what Father Stinnison says in his book on uh, the fire of divine love, which is a great uh, a book on the Holy Spirit. Uh, but yes, it's so important for uh, if you want to make progress on this journey to ask the Holy Spirit to come and guide you and to enlighten you and to give you the wisdom and direct your path. Well, God was not to be outdone by her charity and watered her seeds with great grace, which so fired Uh, her up with this flame of love that she found, uh, that she rapidly climbed to the very heights of holiness. And this is a a, a great grace that we're going to talk about right now. 
It happened on one Sunday after Pentecost, on the 28th of June, actually, the year 1767. St. Teresa Margaret was almost 20 years old. Her birthday, by the way, is on the 15th. You reminded me of that, Of Francis. July, yeah. Of July, Coming right. Coming up. She was officiating in choir and had just read the words, Deus Caritas S, which, for those of you who know Latin, simply is rendered, God is love. She'd heard these words many times before, but on this day... The words struck her heart and her mind in an extraordinary way. They seized her in a type of rapture. It was as if she understood them for the first time deep within her heart and with a full understanding. This was on an entirely different level than anything she'd experienced before. And with sudden illumination, it was flooding her soul. It was an unmistakable intervention on the part of God in this young saint. And the person who receives this understands that it is not their own intellect working because it's beyond anything they had ever thought before. Um, and it's power and substance and uh, the effects are... Um, Unmistakable. Yes, right. Yeah. And so although St. Teresa Margaret, according to her way of hiddenness, she, she was trying to hide this, well, everyone noticed Margaret Rowe, the author of the book that we're using as our resource, God is Love, described the situation this way. Her soul was transpierced by a shaft of light and love, but all the community noticed was that during three days following this signal grace, St. Teresa Margaret's face and bearing expressed the radiant transport she had experienced, and for once, her, sub, her habitual self-control and restraint of speech and gesture seemed to desert her. Again and again, she would repeat the words, Deus caritas est. Having observed the manner and frequency in which she would repeat these words, one could easily ascertain that they had been accompanied by an extraordinary outpouring of God upon her soul. And you know, this is what happens to us uh, listeners in the spiritual journey. There are these experiences deep within us that are far more profound than anything we could imagine uh, just being communicated to us intellectually or something we might read or hear. Now, her companion in the novitiate, Sister Teresa Maria Rascoli, remarked that St. Teresa Margaret's face was flushed and her bearing was that of one beside herself. She would pronounce the words with feeling in a high voice and with meaning. This, of course, is uh, from the other book that is a source for us, From the Sacred Heart to the Trinity by Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene. Far more convincing proofs of this grace came through the sufferings of love that were born in her heart and in the interpretations of the saint uh, herself that she gave to her spiritual director, Father Ildefonse. When he was explaining to her the words, God is love, St. Teresa Margaret told him about divine things. And we're going to pick up on those divine things. We're going to sort of set the table here, Francis, okay. uh, for our uh, second half of our program. Uh, we want to hear what it is that she has to say to us about these divine things that she too experienced in the words Deus Caritas S. A reminder that you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home, and we'll be right back. So, Carmelite Conversations with Mark and Francis. Well, thank you. Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria. We had just picked up with St. Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart of Jesus' own perspective on uh, growth in this spiritual journey, some thoughts that she had shared with her spiritual director, Father Ildefonse, 
and I'm going to let Francis read that so we can hear it in uh, a voice much more similar to Teresa Margaret's than my own. Uh, <laughs> However, about... <laughs> it's, it's a quote that Father Ildefonso says it is, it is, uh, right. about what she told him. What she told him, that's correct. And, and I have to apologize in advance because this, this, is, this is really a heavy quote because it, it's got so many rich concepts to, that you could just take this quote and just ponder it for an hour and, and really get so much uh, and more. Uh, but anyway, we're, we're going to share it with you so that you at least get a, a, a little bit, a taste about it. This is what Teresa Margaret uh, had told her spiritual director, and he is now sharing what she told him. She told me about divine things, remarking that this charity is the same love with which God loves himself from all eternity, the Spirit of God himself, which is his life and his breath, who is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Blessed Trinity. And when it is said that he who dwells in charity dwells in God and God in him, the meaning is that he lives in the life of God and God after a certain fashion, lives his life in him. She concluded, thus, it is because between them there is but one life, one charity, one God. In God, this is all by essence, but in the creature, by participation and grace. Thus, it is true that everything is held in common by lovers. And again, I'm going to have to say, and I, I'm uh, repeating myself, Francis, because I, I, I had the great opportunity on my long drive from my 4th of July vacation to listen to about 10 hours of St. Thomas Aquinas. So <laughs> I, I, I found myself really struggling at times, uh, and I know Aquinas somewhat well, but really struggling to, to sort of grasp the um, you know profound nature of his philosophical perspective and I see the same words coming off the page here from a young woman not 20 years old at this point who uh, or perhaps just 20 years old um, who uh, gained all this not by reading Thomas Aquinas she didn't even read John on the Cross we know she gained it in prayer God revealed in, this to her spirit yeah it was infused yeah it's infused contemplation it, it is a gift and and so she what she was trying to do was describe her experience of this grace of uh, Deus caritas s God is love and and from just those three words she gets all of this so you know that that's that's God's signature because this was beyond her. Yeah, I, and I would encourage people to go back. We won't reread it, but I would encourage you to go, to, go back to our podcast and perhaps um, read this or listen to it enough that you can write it down and then read it yourself. Uh, and I agree with Francis. I think it's worthy of our reflection uh, far more than just uh, hearing it in, in uh, a brief um, uh, offering over the radio. Well, I can tell you them where to find it. Yeah. It's in the book, From the Sacred Heart to the Trinity, on page 44 and 45. And that's the one by uh, Father... Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene. Right. So oh. uh, so that's your, your next choice if you don't want to have to replay the entire <laughs> podcast. Well, so St. Teresa Margaret must have, at this point, 
experience something very similar to what St. John of the Cross wrote to us about in the Spiritual Canticle, which shows how the soul, when it's mystically transformed in the Holy Spirit, tries to do exactly what was her motto, which is return love for love. St. John of the Cross actually describes it this way. The soul loves God with the will of God, which is her will also. Thus, she loves God as much as he loves her. The reason for this is that she loves him with the will of God and the same love with which he loves himself. He who is the Holy Spirit given to the soul. And again, also from the Sacred Heart to the Trinity, this is page 45, quoting St. John of the Cross's own uh, work, The Spiritual Canticle. So uh, the, the point we make here is, oh, I struggle. I don't know that I can love that much. I don't know that I have that much love with, in, in me. And I would say, uh, be calm, be patient. The truth is, none of us can love this way. Only God can love this way. And what God wants to do is transform us and give us the capacity to love him in exactly the way that he loves himself. And, that's and be- only he can do it. And that's because he's giving of himself. And then we love God with his very love. Um, and, and it reminds me of when St. Therese of Lisieux write, wrote in her act of oblation, Jesus, be yourself my sanctity, you know, so that, you know, Jesus can act and, and love uh, for her, in her, to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, the soul in this state, in this uh, grace that we're talking about, this great grace, they feel very vividly the embrace of God. It's an experience. So it's not like she was infused with just words. It is a true experience of God being carried to God by a movement of love whose strength far surpasses that of the soul. So the soul cannot make this happen. They can't pray up and down all day long, 24 hours a day for for years and get to this point. No, this is a true gift of God. This is a, a, a grace Um, And this particular grace marked a new stage in her life. Um, By those who are studying her life, they consider this grace to be the type of the union of spiritual betrothal, which uh, for St. Teresa Vabla in her interior castle would have called this the sixth mansion or, or a grace that would be found in the sixth mansion or dwelling place. So it's an extraordinary grace of a deep level of infused prayer that, again, as I said before, can only come as a gift from God. So the the soul has to be receptive and open. From that day forward, Teresa Margaret strove to prove her love of God and neighbor even more. It became a compelling force driving her with ever greater zeal towards God. She tried to express this actually in many ways, something of the significance that she was experiencing in these words, Deus Caritas Est. She counsels us actually on how to come to the true God and to this encounter and this experience. She says, nobody comes to the Father except through Jesus, lifted right off the pages of scripture, of course, to come to God who is everything and consequently all good. No fatigue must be seen to us too great. We must not be put off either by the difficulties you meet on the way, but rather accept bitterness and welcome every kind of cross with eagerness. By these means, we are precisely those of Je- by these means, which are precisely those of Jesus Christ. It is not difficult to come to the true God, to live in charity, and to walk in love. 
I think this speaks highly of spiritual equanimity, having your peace and remaining in your peace in the good times and in the bad. Because she says, accept bitterness and welcome every kind of cross with eagerness. Um, and, and, and so that even goes beyond <laughs> the spiritual equanimity there. You know, at another time, um, St. Teresa Margaret even ventures to say that after a whole day that she spent in continual spiritual activity, she felt like sleep itself should be an occupation of affection and service of the divine majesty. Now, I was really taken by this. And, and of course, St. Therese, uh, the little flower, talks about sleep, too. And so I thought it would be good to share this uh, conversation that she has um, about her defense of this position on um, how sleep uh, should be part of the spiritual activity. Uh, she says, Is it not possible to work with the intellect and the will while the body sleeps? I mean, cannot one continue to love God while asleep in virtue of the consistent daily habit of doing so? And Mark, I want you to read the, the spiritual director's part there. To be sure, the value of our actions depends to a great extent on the habits we have formed, he told her cautiously. Again, this is Father Ildefonse. Uh, this applies to bad or careless habits as well as to good ones. If, for instance, we are accustomed to looking at all things from the point of view of our own, of our own pleasure and advantage, then the evil lies not so much in neglecting con to consider the glory of God as the projection in countless repeated acts throughout the day of the dominant theme of our own selfish interests. By such daily conduct, although never consciously averted to, habits of mind are formed, which from merely being errant or negligent become ingrained dispositions. Again, that word disposition. It is thus that he that condemneth small contemneth small things shall fall by little and little, as we read in the book of Ecclesiasticus. Then St. Teresa Margaret says she in says, response, <laughs> then if one, and you can imagine that they're having this little discussion now, then if one is habitually watchful during the day, could not the act of love in which one lives endure even in sleep? Is not that what the spouse in the canticles intended when she says, I sleep, but my heart watches? An act of the will does not destroy a habit of mind. For instance, were there no contrary habits of thinking and acting, the one act of offering made in the morning would consecrate to God every action of the day. But as you know, this is not so. Despite our morning intention of doing everything in God and for him, we constantly look to our own interests and need to recollect ourselves and renew our offering frequently. Ah, yes, but in speaking of an act of love, I did not mean one formulated such as when we make an act of charity. Is it not the property of a habit to procure its action without the souls even noticing its particular influence? You say that when we act habitually for ourselves, we no longer notice it. Very well, I want to act for God, to live in his love so uninterruptedly that the habit dominates me completely and so thoroughly that I no longer perceive it and can continue to love God and give myself to him even while my body sleeps. 
I think that's very convincing. Yes. <laughs> well, I was actually on that June morning, Teresa Margaret crossed the threshold, which makes the final stages of union of the soul with God. So she's moving on to these final stages now, Francis. Another example of her zeal occurs upon her hearing the words of St. Paul. Writing in Acts 17.28, Paul says, It is in him that we live and move and have our being. St. Teresa is so inspired to make another pact of, uh, with God after hearing this. We might also refer to it as a spiritual challenge. You like that phrase, mm -hmm. Francis. This time she makes it with Mother Anna Maria. The pact was to recall often to mind this indwelling that they lived in God, moved, had their being in him. They were to repeat the scripture passage frequently as a means of reviving the awareness of their union in him and with each other in him. And so this is what they would say, God is love. And they would be thinking about what all that meant. And uh, so they were to do that frequently. Father Ildefonse, her spiritual director, he watched her very closely and he witnessed how her sole occupation was for the glory of God, the practice of virtue, and the dying to herself in charity to others. The special grace that she received jettisoned her to offering herself in a complete holocaust to the love of the sacred heart of Jesus. An attraction she had always had, but now it had been transformed into a vocation as victim of love and expiation, an offering that she formally makes nine months later. Now, the late Father Gabriel of St. Maria, uh, St. Mary Magdalene, uh, wrote about Teresa Margaret and this special grace that she received, and here are his words. It is clear that during the choir office of Turris on that Sunday in 1767, the work of her sanctification passed out of the control of her human will, understood in terms of spiritual theology, and became subject to a power infinitely greater because holy because it was holy divine. It was obvious that she retained the full and free use of her will since she continued to live and to advance in a community which made many heavy demands upon it. But henceforward, her personal impulses and initiatives were under the complete control of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important to point out, he mentions here spiritual theology, uh, a little bit of theology here. We're not saying that her will is gone or that somehow it's been uh, taken over. What we are saying is that it is directed, but it is still her will. She still has to avert to what it is that the Holy Spirit is guiding her to. But this is the place we reach when lovers become one. Uh, there's no more sort of uh, division between their wills. They're, they are uh, uniform. They are unified. This is the state of spiritual maturity that uh, Teresa Margaret reads. I just don't want people being confused that somehow she's ceased to exist. No, in fact, she's the fullest expression of herself. Right. And she averts to it. By avert, I mean she, she, she gives herself over to it. And I just am amazed uh, to think of how God acts in his soul in this way and, and how it increases one's faith to read about this and see the hand of God in their lives and, and how transforming it is in their lives. And I think that uh, those spiritual directors that get to hear the details of these events, uh, how confirming it is of the faith uh, of God being active in our lives. It's just amazing. So now we're going to head on in to a discussion of her hiddenness with Christ in God. And as we had said, it was from this time on, from this time of the grace, 
uh, the great grace of Caritas, Deus Caritas S, that St. Teresa Margaret began to demonstrate that her interior life had entered into a new phase. Margaret Rowe, the author of the book we're using, remarks that even the patients in an infirmary uh, took notice of her new disposition. It was also about this time that she actually began to receive direction from a Father Gregory, who had replaced Father Colombino as the provincial. Uh, Just before she went on an annual retreat, Teresa Margaret received instructions, in fact, from Father Gregory on how to get the most out of this time that she would get to spend with the Lord. Listen carefully, I want uh, to encourage our listeners to how he begins his instructions, as I think it will help to make our minds a little more attuned to what it is that he has to say. And I'm reading again from uh, Father Gregory himself. Uh, He says, as I requested, I am sending you some suggestions by which you might profit during your retreat. If you apply yourself energetically to these exercises, you can become a saint without being forever on your knees and without performing extraordinary penances. Well, right away, Francis, my my mind was attuned. Unfortunately, we don't have access to the actual letter. Yeah, bummer. Uh, We can only uh, tell you all uh, what it contained to to the extent that it's shared here in the text. Um, but here is the list, and it won't surprise anybody, I suspect, uh, what Father uh, Gregory uh, perhaps added in the letter was the degree of intensity into which Teresa Margaret would need to enter into these activities. But here's the list of things that he encourages her to practice. Prayer, practice of the presence of God, which we did an earlier program on, humility, recollection, retirement, mortification of her will, which is a central theme in her life, a variety of ascetical practices, which it is well worth investigating, as it would lead to detachment and interior immolation, which we should explain. So I'm going to let you explain immolation. Well, let me give you the the quote, actually, that I looked up here. Um, Immolation comes from the Latin word immolate, meaning sprinkled with sacrificial meal. Immolation always involves a sacrifice or an offering of some sort. The word often invokes images of burning, a common method of sacrifice. So immolation is that, um, you know, flame of love, if we want to defer to John of the Cross. Um, It is the flame of the Holy Spirit. It is literally offering ourselves completely and Um, This idea that preceded it of mortification of her will is the prerequisite to immolation. It isn't just uh, mortification uh, of sleep or food or, you know, the sort of physical things we can all do. It's the will. I don't get to choose what it is that I want to do. That is decided for me by God. Again, I have to accept what it is that God uh, brings into my life. So my will is not dead. My will is being purified and perfected through all of these experiences. What we must understand about this phase of Teresa Margaret's personal spirit's journey is that she's receiving a personal vocation to imitate and participate in the hidden life of Christ. She's participating in the fool's way in his work by, of redeeming humanity. And this is what we are all called to in our personal relationship with Christ. The challenge is that the vast majority of us do not respond to that call. Yeah, her desire to follow Father Gregory's maxims, in fact, to the letter, encourage her to draft her own resolutions statement. Francis used that word a little earlier. Uh, in addition, she sought to clarify Father Gregory's instructions for herself by drafting this statement. 
She said, I propose to have no other purpose in all my activities, either interior or exterior, than the motive of love alone. By constantly asking myself, now what am I doing in this action? Do I love God? If I should notice any obstacle to pure love, I shall take myself in hand and recall that I must seek to return my love for his love. Again, returning love for love. Some people have referred to this, and in fact, Margaret Rowe does in her book, as a habitual examination of conscience. Now, this isn't a uh, examination of conscience as regard to things I'm doing badly. She's beyond that. What she's looking at is, is what I'm doing in this moment an expression of love? Is it an act of love? Am I doing it selflessly? She had this frame of mind, this disposition uh, of the heart that she constantly wanted to be uh, in a condition of expressing love. Well, St. Francis de Sales used to do something similar by not allowing more than 30 minutes to go by in his day where he did not take a moment to stop and consider whether he was spending his time wisely and whether his projects were, in fact, an expression of his love for God. Um, you know, the, the point for both St. Francis de Sales and St. Teresa Margaret was that this actual thoughtful practice, uh, and I, I would say it is attentiveness, it's focusedness, it's purposeful, uh, led them to an interior disposition of the heart, which would then take over and obviate the need for the constant examinations and reminders. The main point of this exercise is to bring the passions under control of the will. Recall, St. John of the Cross refers to the four passions. We've heard these before. Hope, joy, fear, and sorrow. We each experience these, uh, many of these, in fact, throughout the course of our day. Uh, but the focus of the saints is to try and make sure that each of these four passions, when they are experienced, are always directed to God. In other words, we hope in God and hope constantly to please him. We find joy in God alone, and we fear offending God in any way. And we experience sorrow, not because we fail to receive something we may desire, or because we experience a trial, but only when we discover that we have indeed done something to offend God. This is what brings us sorrow. This was the focus of Teresa Margaret's desire to do all things in love. When we function this way, almost unconsciously, then we truly do, as St. Elizabeth of the Trinity tells us, conserve all of our strength for the beloved. And we no longer dissipate our forces, our passions, across a broad array of desires. I'm thinking of Elizabeth the Trinity, you know, that single focus, the single eye. This can also be referred to as purity of heart, which I know you, you have mentioned Kierkegaard saying this, uh, uh, to will but one thing. Now here's how Teresa Margaret herself described this process uh, of coming to know a God in this way. Knowing that if I am to do this, a total abandonment to God is necessary, since I am aware that I can do nothing because of my misery. I give myself completely to you, my only love, so that you alone can work in me according to your plan, for I desire nothing other than what you wish. And she continues this theme uh, just a little bit further on, actually, in our text. Do you want to pick that one up as yeah, well? Yeah, these are more of her resolutions. Since nature resists good, even though the spirit may be willing, I resolve to enter upon a continual warfare against self. The arms which I shall do battle are prayer, the presence of God, silence. Yet I am aware how little I am able to use these weapons. 
Nevertheless, I shall arm myself with complete confidence in you, patience, humility, and conformity with your divine will. But who shall help me to fight a continual battle against enemies, such as those which make war on me? You, my God, have declared yourself my captain. You have raised the standard of the cross, saying, Take up the cross and follow in my footsteps. To correspond with this invitation, I promise to resist your love no longer. Rather, I will follow you to Calvary without hesitation. This is actually a near-perfect description of the essence of Carmelite spirituality. She includes prayer, the presence of God, silence, combined with a complete abandonment and confidence in God. This is confidence that must ultimately lead us to the standard of the cross. And honestly, it's where most of us fail. We simply don't have the courage to allow God to do the work he so much desires to do in each of us, which is nothing other than transforming us into himself and purifying our love for him and our brothers and sisters to be like his own love for us. Teresa Margaret's deeper encounter with the words Deus Caritas S, an encounter, it would be fair to say, was more an experience than something she perceived in her mind, was now coming to full fruition. This is the stage of the spiritual journey when God really does begin to take over. But we must still respond to the invitation. Here in our closing uh, uh, quote is St. Teresa Margaret's response to that. And, and this is the beginning of her act of oblation. She says, My God... I desire nothing save to become your perfect image. And since yours was a hidden life of humiliation, love, and sacrifice, so also I wish mine to be. I desire to enclose myself henceforth within your most loving heart, as in a desert, so that I may live in you and with you and for you this hidden life of love and sacrifice. O oh my Lord, you know my great desire to become a victim of your sacred heart, wholly consumed by the fire of your holy love. May your heart be the altar upon which my holocaust shall be made, and you be the priest who will consume this victim by the flames of your burning love. Well, Francis, I know we won't have time to finish the 17th chapter. You and I both agree that this hiddenness is really the central theme of this whole book. So we're going to delay and we'll take up our uh, conversation about this next week. I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind to close us in prayer. And this is from St. Teresa Margaret. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O oh Lord, I desire to love you with a patient love, a love dead to self. That is a love which completely abandons me to you. An active love. To sum it all up, a solid love with no division within itself and which will stand regardless of what may happen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you. A great challenge from Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, who we will begin uh, or, or continue our conversation again next week. A reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in your home. Until we're with you again next week, God bless.